0: What's happening? Corey Wong here with the Wong Notes Podcast Episode 4 with Eric Johnson. Now, I want to start this episode a little bit different than I've done the others with a challenge. I'm not going to do a weekly challenge. Maybe I will at some point. But today, I just want you to think about this one thing as far as a phrasing picking thing. I want you to practice your three note per string major scales, up and down. If you're not familiar with these, just look them up online. I'm sure Premiere Guitars got some sort of lesson online somewhere with them. There's some YouTube guy who's got it. Paul Gilbert, he's the guy that got me hip to it off one of his Hot Licks videos or something like that. Now, typically when people practice this, they go down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, alternate picking. Or they'll do some sort of sweeping thing on the way down where they go down, up, down, down, up, down, 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 up, whatever. And then on their way back up the strings, they go up, down, up, up, down, up, up, down, up, up, down, up, down, up. What I want you to try this week is go down, up, hammer on when you're going up the scale and down, up, pull off when you're going back. What it's going to do is it's going to create a different type of phrasing and it might implement some sort of change into the way that you phrase your soloing or your melodies to create a new and cool different sound to your playing that might just bring a new fresh take. Not because other people are sick of what you're playing, but sometimes as a guitar player, we get sick of our own playing. Check it out. Try it out. See what you think. Okay, if you're listening to a guitar podcast, you probably know who Eric Johnson is. The person in the car next to you, or in the office next to you, probably knows who Eric Johnson is, even if they don't know who Eric Johnson is. He's one of those cats who ended up in the zeitgeist due to a hit song, Cliffs of Dover. Now, that's a straight up hit song. He won a Grammy for it. Many of us played that song on Rock Band when we were kids. That's why the person in the office next to you knows who he is. If you're like, hey, you know who Eric Johnson is? They're like, Eric Johnson. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know Eric Johnson. That dude's dope. We all know who Eric Johnson is. I'm stoked to have him on the show today. Man, he can write some really hooky guitar lines. And he's been able to make hook after hook that are very guitaristic, that are also just very approachable and listenable for the average listener. I love it. It's a riddle I'm always trying to solve with my own playing So let's sit back, enjoy some wisdom from guitar hero, Eric Johnson. All right. A lot of people ask me what I use on the road for backline gear when I show up at a festival, when I show up at a gig in another country or something, and I haven't been able to fly with all my gear. Basically, what I ask for is any Fender Stratocaster made in the last 10 years to be there for me to use as a backup i normally travel with my guitar but i always ask for backup strat just in case and i also say pretty much any fender tube amp is good to go my preference is a super reverb it's got four 10-inch speakers which respond a little bit differently than 12-inch speakers otherwise i'll ask for a fender twin reverb which has a little more oomph in the low end, but the tighter low end of the 410s sometimes is nice for that spanky funk thing. Also, Fender Deluxe, it's great. Hot Rod Deluxe, those are awesome too. Basically, I've trusted Fender tube amps with any situation with Wolfpack or Fearless Flyers or when I'm touring on my own. We just ask for Fender tube amps and they've always been really great. And, you know, sometimes people are into the vintage thing. That's awesome. I dig vintage instruments i dig vintage gear but i have found there is a little more consistency in the newer stuff as far as just like is it gonna work really well is there some weird noise is there some weird buzz look don't come at me if you like vintage gear great vintage gear is dope but i just i'm going off my own experience so i would suggest go out check out some fender amps check out some fender tube amps i also have this new I've been trying to do an A-B test on this Fender Twin Tone Master. When I play clean, I've I've sent recordings of the Tone Master versus my regular twin. A lot of people can't tell the difference. So check it out for yourself. See what you think. Eric, thanks so much for being with us today. This is really fun to talk with you. I have been a fan and listened to your music for years, and it is fun to finally sit down and talk with you about music and about guitar.
1: Well, thanks, Corey. I'm glad to be here, man.
0: You have had a long career as a guitar player and as an artist. You are known as one of the guitar gods by all the guitar magazines and whatnots. And usually with that means that there's an insane level of technical proficiency, which you have. But there's something that I noticed about your playing where you don't rely on that. It seems as if you have a higher understanding of music as a whole, when to bust out the chops, when to just play something melodic, or even just when to leave some space. Can you speak into that a little bit?
1: Well, I I think that's an interesting point and I guess we all go through different periods where we're learning and we want to show what we've learned and it's great fun to uh just blow up on guitar and just play and play and play and and you hit these moments that are just really beautiful and really worthwhile and valid um you know, if you're telling somebody you love them or will you be my friend, you know, you could spend two seconds saying it or you can spend 20 minutes saying it over and over and over and you kind of dilute it or you 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 take away some of the impact of just being succinct about it and Mm -hmm. you know i've watched a lot i've watched video youtube videos of myself where i'm going off on a 18 minute lead break and you know there's parts i go wow that's really great and then it's like okay this is getting you know okay you got it's time to you know (laughs) wrap it up here you know so it's a let life's a journey and a lesson learned you know and I, I i'm just trying to learn to um see the the beautiful uh validity in trying to learn to become a a really good player on your instrument but learn that the real elevating parameters of that you know there's there's ways for it to elevate by saying it in a clear way and I've learned just from my own overdoings that, you know, you can go too far. And then it's also kind of a, a mindset, you know, it's like, what do you want to say at the end of the day with your song or even music? And I think the sky's the limit. So if I, if I stop broadcasting and talking and, and, and being all kinetic and I just like try to listen to whatever the, you know, intuitive message happening, And it might say, well, why don't you try this song or this part? And it's going to be more elevated. So, yeah, you can still play guitar, but, um, don't just rush off and like you know talk all the time you know when when there might be a message coming to you that might make it a little uh you know a little more elevated you know
0: i love that that's taking understanding when to use the power that you have there's a certain meekness and and power to understanding uh when and where <laughs>
1: that's well said and it's so true and and you think you know one of my favorite I mean, I love all the Jimi Hendrix records, but there's something about "Axis, bold is love. I really love it. And it's a song record. It's 80% rhythm guitar. And there's little spurts of lead guitar. (laughs) But if you really like, look at it, you know, brass tag, like face value, it's like, it's not him blowing up for 5 million years. And, it's such a it's such a deep song music record that you can put all these gems within the vehicle as long as you have a vehicle that's going somewhere worthwhile and and that's a subjective thing you know and people have different tastes yeah. so it's really just what what you want to try to do but um the people I learned from that that I can't hold a candle to you know like you know Stevie Wonder stuff from the seventies and the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and and you could you could tell they had a serious the agenda, for lack of a better word, to just create music. And they said, by the way, I'm going to create this music. I want to put this really cool guitar part in, or Ringo's going to put this really cool guitar in. But it was all sublimated with this greater uh, purpose, you know? I
0: actually, you know, now that I think about it, there's so much material where you're known as like a lead guy. And your lead chops, your tone, your sound, your touch, your choices make you who you are on that thing. And you're very well known for that. But your rhythm playing is really great. And actually, a lot of my favorite playing of yours is some of the stuff where it's like you're playing the song.
1: Well, you know, I... I, I'm still trying to work on my feel in my pocket I mean I have a tendency to rush sometimes when I play with a band I'm like ah you know so I don't know. I, I definitely am not James Brown of the guitar as far as you know pocket but I'm trying to get that better but I think to your point I think maybe some of my chord voicings or you know that kind of thing it's interesting I mean like I'll play a whole set 90 minutes and I'll you know try to do all this fancy stuff and, blah, 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 and at the end of the night i I have more people coming to me go, you know my favorite part of the evening was that was that two minutes before to Dover where you just played some clean chords and did all those things. And I said, That's interesting because repetitively that's what people I think when you when you go past that barricade of of like, oh, I'm I'm impressed with what you're doing and you just you talk about what has an impact on somebody as they're sitting there listening. Um, then you, you get into a whole other arena of music or sounds.
0: You know? Yeah, and I seem to find for myself... I mean, I'm a guitar player. I love the guitar. But a lot of times when I'm watching a guitar show, that, that rings true for me as well. Like I love seeing the really impressive guitar stuff. And it's like, whoa, that's cool. But the place that I find myself having a very visceral response is the stuff where it's not, look at this amazing thing, this Olympic guitar stuff—it's more like, yeah, it's 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 something that actually is connecting on a deeper musical level. Not to say that lead things can't, but typically it's something that has a little more uh, vulnerability to it. I don't know.
1: No, that's that's totally it. Vulnerability, being more honest, showing showing your inner being—that's um, something I, I've noticed in my music over the years. I didn't. I would have liked to have showed more of my inner being. So, you know, I'm, sometimes you can you can hide that a little bit and just create this really perfect statue and go, that is so perfect, but you're not really sharing, a vul- like you say, a vulnerability place. That is so key and paramount in any kind of art, really. And it's something we have to assimilate in ourselves. You go, oh, I get it. You know, you can't just say, well, that's important. You got to be vulnerable. You know, it's like, oh no, I feel that in my, you know. And that's kind of what, what I'm trying to arrive at now, and, and the last record I did, I, to me, it was a step in the right direction because I, you know, that I was thinking about that all the time. I wasn't, I wasn't just having that on the back burner, thinking about, okay, how cool part can I play here? So, and I think, you know, another thing to your point that kind of makes it even more of a challenge is, you know, you think about electric guitar and playing rock and roll licks. I mean, it's been done for sixty years. So you can hardly expect somebody to go, oh my God, what was that lick you did? You know, it's like they've heard it for sixty years, and everybody's like, okay, what else you got? Well,
0: and the thing that I find too is that people have heard interesting guitar things forever. I mean, not forever for the last how many decades, but what they haven't heard is you. And the more that you inject who you are, it seems to be that there's more compelling art, and there's a more there's a there's a deeper human connection. Where the instrument and the music is a vehicle of creative expression of self.
1: And what you just said, Corey, is what some something. BB King said to me years ago when I was on tour with him. He said the, almost exactly what you said. He said, "You can play this, you can play that, you can get really good at that, but you got to share that thing inside you that's that's unique to the world. You got to find that spark." And I remember when he told me that, I kind of I understood it, but it took me a few years to really. All of a sudden, I, I finally got it. I was like, oh, I get it. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's about sharing that more of that inner truth that, that you have. And that, like you say, that'll always be fresh and unique.
0: Yeah. Who is that for you today? And how is that different than, like, uh, what was your first record?
1: 1986? Yeah, it sure was. Tones. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. So, how is who you are? And what your voice is today? How is that different? And what was that journey to get to where you are
1: now? I think I, I you know, was intoxicated with just playing guitar and like finding all those different realms of that and having fun with that and 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 just okay, here's a song I can write that'll show the guitar. And now I think what I'm trying to get to is, uh, well, I got this song, and that's the important part. And now, how can I put some interesting guitar in it? So it's kind of a, it's kind of an inversion process. I'm I'm really committed to playing the guitar and I, I don't think I ever bought into okay I'm just going to play G chords and the heck with it you know first off there's there's plenty of people that can write more awesome songs than I do you know it's it's like oh I'm going to be a songwriter and sit and you know just you know I mean it's like well okay you're going to join 5 other million people that are really good at it but mm-hmm. so I mean I've always been committed and will stay committed to pushing the boundaries of guitar I want to because it, it, it turns me on. It's like, wow, this this is I have a it just it's fun for me. I think that the key issue is well, how can I do that in a way that'll be revelatory and 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 purposeful for the song and also somehow try to find something a little fresh or a different slant to where it's really it's interesting and, and, and ear catching to do. So it's it's really trying to create a balance and find something in in a way to, to kind of do the both worlds, Yeah, you know?
0: I love that. The it's it doesn't seem like we've had a like guitar god ascend <laughs> uh in the last few years. Like there's there's a handful of guys, but it doesn't seem like the same influx as the 80s and 90s. And partially maybe guitar virtuosity is not as celebrated as it was, but on the other hand. You have a whole generation of Instagram guitar players and there's internet guitar players and there's so much stuff that there is a lot of guitar players that are celebrated because they can do incredible feats on the instrument, you know, Olympic level things. But nowadays, a lot of the most highly concentrated place that people are absorbing that is Instagram and YouTube and things like that. But it's connecting in a different way. Um, Are you aware of what's happening on that and what's what's your... do you have any advice for those that are kind of in that realm now that, that want to discover more of who they are on the instrument, want to discover more of how to be a better ambassador for the guitar?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, when you write a song that really hits people, it's like, oh, that you, you want to hear it again, or it really does something It widens you or makes you feel better or, or you know, lifts you somewhere. That's first and foremost. Um, just experimenting with the guitar and just seeing where you can come up with something fresh. I think, I think, you know, it's not necessary, but I think contributing something that's a little bit different, you know, whether it's super technical or not, I don't think it's all been said or done on the guitar, but it's been around so long. It's been rehashed so much with the same thing over and over and over and over. It's like, if you eat 5,000 candy bars, you know, it's like, Hey, you want a candy bar? It's like, well, not really. You know, (laughs) it's understandable you know and so it would behoove everybody the listener and the player to just try to let the moment come to them inspirationally instead of you know instead of me talking all the time let me not let me be silent and let the moment come to me oh well let's try that or do this because there's there's an ocean out there that i think is pretty limitless whether the guitar will have this iconic exaltation that it that it did in the 80s and 90s ever again? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the saxophone had that in the 40s and 50s, so maybe yeah. maybe it's just one of those things. But I think there's plenty of room for somebody to do something inventive and interesting. And I think when somebody's really you know honest with what they're really feeling inside, it, it comes all across, you know. But it, like you say, I mean, the, the guitar is is waned in in uh, in its in its you know, revered status, but at the same time, they're selling more guitars than ever because everybody at home is just buying yeah. guitars. It's just fun. So it's almost like it's returned back to home play where it's just, I'm just doing this because it's fun. Same thing we did when we were 17. Learn, you know, we'll learn a couple chords. Ah, oh, listen to that. It's great. Just having fun. You know, it's taking all the pressure and all the pretense out of it, which really, no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing it for a living or doing it for fun, none of that stuff helps anyhow if you watch the arc of anybody's career it's like the more they become aware of themselves and the more successful and the more they are adorned with all this jewelry that starts choking them you know because they've become what they are and they're their legacy and they're living in their own bubble of what they are and it, it also translates to their, to their guitar playing oh this is my legacy i play these licks and i have this sound and all of a sudden you've cemented yourself instead of staying staying liquid
0: Ooh. So with that being said, how does somebody find their voice on the instrument? If somebody's been like a lot of people that are listening to this are going to be college age people learning to play guitar or like, you know, finally solidifying their guitar stuff. Some people are teenagers just getting the guitar for the first time, kind of figuring out how to play songs. A lot of people listening are professional guitar players themselves in varying degrees. So some universal principles of how do you find your voice?
1: Um, well, I think it's, first off, you just, you find, you find what, where your passion is. And if it's, if it's playing, um, John Baez folk chords and just singing, then beautiful. And just try to develop that. If it's, if it's playing, uh, you know, uh, Ishtag Perlman type licks, you know, that's beautiful too. But I think you f- you got to find your passion. And and you can't just like decide in your mind. Well, somebody said this is a cool thing to do, so I got to do it. You know, it's you'll get you'll get bored. You know, so you got to find your passion. Once you find your passion, then you just you listen to your heroes, the people you really love, and and then I think you you're honest with yourself. You know, you listen to yourself, or you you record yourself, listen to yourself, and you you have to be honest with yourself if you want to try to really make headway with your. Playing like, I mean, I remember the first time I'd I'd hear Hendrix with the fuzz, you know, like a lover confusion, or I'd hear uh, Jeff Beck on New York City blues or the the Nazar Blue or Happening 10 Years Time Ago, or I'd hear two notes of West Montgomery and I go, Man, that sounds so great. And it's played, that gives me that passion. When and at that, I had to like start working on my own tone and go, You know, I'm not getting it. It's not quite like that. And I just keep working on it until it would really be close to to my heroes sure. and everybody copies somebody. I don't think there's anything wrong with copying people. You know, you take from everybody you love and you create your own recipe. If I took the 10 guitar players that I like that that really hit me the most and then I put them all together and I make my own sound and then everybody goes, Oh, Eric has his original sound, you know, but really if you were to break it down, it's a combination of all the people that I love. And I had to be honest with myself as I worked on that. No, that's not quite it. You can't get thirty percent there and go, Yeah, I'm just really nailing it. I sound just like Wes Montgomery, you know. When do you
0: feel like you found your voice? When do you feel like you got your sound on the instrument or as an artist?
1: Well, I think it was a gradual thing. If I had to look at it in different chapters, I would say initially when I was like fifteen or sixteen, I was copying Eric Clapton to the note. So much that people would come hear me play and they just go, God, he just he's all he's doing is copying Eric Clapton. You know, I'd be copying Spoonful and Mm-hmm. But it was a very good learning experience because that tone Clapton was using then was extremely beautiful in his playing, and and it, 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 I was learning so much by just copying him to a T. Yeah. Later on, I got in a, a jazz rock group, fusion group, electro Magnus. I got really into Bill Connors and John McLaughlin, so I started like playing those licks, but with like an Eric Clapton type tone. You know what I mean? It's so it was kind of like this morphing thing, and then. And then I got into trying to write songs, so I had to figure out a way to put that in songs. And then I started studying chord voicings, which opened that up and kind of changed. So it was really kind of a process, you know? Yeah. But the process starts with... Um, I think the process starts with... Uh, there's nothing wrong with copying somebody uh, and them being your mentor. You know, you just kind of really study what they do. You got to get into the ABCs and the ins and outs of what they do because that's how you learn.
0: Yeah. I've been trying to figure out... A certain riddle <laughs> on the guitar. As a, as a guitar-led band, there seems to be a riddle out there that's how do you keep things interesting if it's just guitar as the lead the majority of the time? A lot of times, like you, you mentioned Stevie Wonder, a lot of Stevie Wonder tunes, there's the musical hook and there's the vocal hooks. And there's so much, like you listen to Sir Duke and there's the instrumental hook lines, there's the vocal hook lines. There's so many different things and arrangement things to keep things interesting because there's different tones, different timbres, there's lyrics, there's that sort of thing. How, how do you keep things interesting when it's just a guitar tune? And so it's not just like, ah, there's so much guitar. Yeah,
1: right. No, that's a great point. And I kind of like what you're saying. I I, I keep battling Oh, I need to get more effects and do this orchestrative symphonic guitar thing. And then there's this other side that says, no, I actually just want to like get rid of all the pedals and play straight in the amp. It's a paradox to me, because sometimes when I'm playing straight in the amp, I'm having more fun. I feel it in my fingers more. There's more of a visceral connection with the sound. I think that it, it becomes a matter of music to keep it interesting on guitar, say you don 't use any effects, so you just got this guitar sound, you might have like a dirty tone and you might have and then a clean tone, but you, then you have to play you have to negotiate musical notes to make it interesting rather than negotiating the effects to make it interesting mm-hmm. and there are two different schools um, there's something there 's something really uh, uh, immediately connective about just negotiating the music. You know, to answer your question, I mean, coming up with interesting chord voicings and sounds um, and then, you know, sometimes it's our intention of how we play, you know, like that intention can really shift the uh, complexion of the music. Like you listen to like some of Jeff Beck's stuff and his intention, he has this kind of surly, almost just like 20% conical, 20% surly, you know, it's it's genius. But he has these kind of like, and it gives us, it takes it in this place that nobody else goes to, you know? Yeah. He's one in a million. And so really it's that intention and the way you play. Um, I think in a way there can be a lot of freedom and limitation. I mean, you hear like great acoustic players that are just playing the acoustic guitar and they somehow make it interesting. I think with electric guitar, it could be, but then, you know, also you could use effects. The problem, the thing with effects though, there's never enough, you know, you get 12 <laughs> effects and then you've used them for four songs. go, okay, I've used those because they're kind of novelty, you know? Yeah. So I don't know.
0: Well, I think it's a similar thing too, where like you listen to Keith Jarrett or Brad Meldow play solo piano and it, it draws a different thing than if they were playing a keyboard with endless sounds that they, patches that they could scroll through. Now, one of the common denominators between all of the guitar players and musicians that I'm interviewing on this podcast is that they have a signature thing, and part of their signature thing is a signature sound. I want to encourage you guys to continue to explore your sound and some options. Check out that Ultra Series from Fender. If, you don't, if you're not glued to a specific Strat or Tele or J-Bass or Jazzmaster or P-Bass, whatever, Check them out. They are making some dope instruments right now. Fender's making some really great stuff. Eric's going to talk about his signature stuff coming up and what that means for an artist's sound. As one of like the tone guys out there, you hear your sound, you know it's you. You've got a signature sound. You've got a signature thing. What's interesting to me about your sound on the instrument is that it is kind of remained, it's, it's basically remained timeless through decades, where there's a lot of guitar players whose tones from the 80s and 90s, you hear it, and it sounds like that era. It sounds like that thing. When I listen to your records, it seems to be more consistent throughout, and somehow it just holds up better than a lot of other guitar players from that era. What do you attribute that to?
1: I, I, I guess all I can say is that I try to go for just a flat EQ guitar tone, just how it sounds. You know, it's like if you had a great violin and and then you ran it through a bunch of EQ. It's like, well, no, not really. I mean, the the violin is okay the way it is. Let's just figure out a way to capture the way that sounds. And and you know, it's a and it's it's a different thing for different people. You know, that's just what I like to do. So what I mean by yeah. that is um. That's why I, you know, I prefer to use old amplifiers. It's not that I'm a stickler for old amps. It's just the truth is they're incredibly simple. They're straight ahead. They have a, the preamp tubes, the power tubes, and the wiring is incredibly simple. What happens from that is you basically get just the natural sound of the guitar. And then, if you turn it up, you get a little bit more of a pure, natural, even harmonic distortion. I like that sound. I grew up on that. It's really it's really like the early the early freddie king and and bb king records and then later you know um uh, uh eric clapton and jeff beck it's just that it's just a the real simple straight ahead guitar tone and it whether you have it clean or distorted so i i like that i i personally like that more i mean i'll use like a process sound or like a backing track in the studio but i wouldn't personally i wouldn't be happy having my four final sound be like this processed sound i i mm-hmm. I don't think I would have played guitar. If that would have been the only thing I could have used on guitar, I go, you know what? I think I'll play, I think I'll play piano or something, you know? And, and that's just because I grew up on that sound, you know, I grew up on that 60 sound. And to me, that was before all the bells and whistles to, Oh no, we can turn the guitar into sounding like this, or we can change this, or we can EQ it to this and that. And it's like, but there's something beautiful about that, that just an original expression, that home plate of just that, just natural sound, you know? Yeah. So what I gravitate towards. Yeah. Well, it's the year
0: 2020. We're all trying things and, uh, there's a lot of great modeling gear and great direct options out there. Do you ever explore those? Have you explored there? Are are there any that inspire you when you plug into them?
1: Um, it's interesting. I use some of them in the studio or backing tracks. I think the modeling thing, and, and it's probably gonna, you know, I mean, it'll probably end up getting there. I, my, my experience with it is it's a little two dimensional. You can like spend a lot of time. You can dial it a sound. It's like, wow, that works. I think that works. The moment I start playing with people or playing on recordings, it doesn't seem to sit in the music. Hmm correctly to me it seems to be like it's almost like you i mean that's just me you know it's like you got a crowd of people and everybody's talking and somebody wheels in a mannequin you know they were next door with the mannequin going looks great looks like a person i mean there's no problem and it's on like this dolly with wheels and they will wheel it into this crowd of people and everybody's like turns and stops and goes well i don't think it's one of us you know i mean that's just me though you know and i think there's a and you know what it depends on the application of the music. I think maybe in certain music, it probably works works great.
0: Yeah, I was totally curious. Okay, I have a question. I heard a story. I'm from Minneapolis. I grew up around the Prince camp, and I cut my teeth learning from a lot of the the Prince cats. And uh, you know, I met him a handful of times, and he came out and saw me play. I heard a story that he discovered you. I, I heard a story that like he got you a deal with Warner or something. Is there any truth to that?
1: Well, uh, I've been told that and uh, I've never met him. I was told that he maybe saw a TV show of mine and that he called Warner's and suggested that I was in the middle of Christopher Cross is the person that introduced me to Warner Brothers. And they spent a couple years doing demo tapes with me and, and having producers come in and, and, and before we did tones. And they were kind of on the fence about what to do with me. I heard from several people that he saw a TV show and he called Warner and said, hey, you should sign this guy. And then that kind of made him decide to go ahead and push the button. That's what I've heard. But I've never substantiated I've never met Prince. So I, I just, sure. uh, I never say that it's definitely true, but I've, that's what I heard. But <laughs> I wish I had met him. I mean, he was a yeah. real genius. But. Speaking
0: of Christopher Cross, is that album uh, Minstrel Gigolo? Yeah. You played on that record. I did. Did you play on the whole record, or just some of it? Or it was that was your introduction to Warner? Was through that album?
1: Um, well, uh, yeah. After that, after the, as Chris did that record and it it did incredibly well, and he yeah. um, was with Warner Brothers, and he he talked to him about you know, coming out and seeing me. And I spent time you know, just trying to build up my thing, playing clubs and stuff. And then they came out and, and then we just started a relationship for a few years before they ultimately signed. Me. But it was Chris who introduced me to him.
0: What's interesting about that record, there's a couple tunes on there, or one in particular that I listened to. And I can tell that it's you, but it sounds to me, it's, it's like, that's Eric Johnson. But you can tell it's in a place where you kind of got, you got your thing figured out. But when I hear that, that's something where it's like, you've kind of got this nugget of a thing of your voice and, and who you are as an artist. And you're just finally discovering it. That's what I hear when I listen to that record. And then when, when you go to tones and then you're following records, it does feel like you get a more solid, you've, you've mined the piece of gold to a more pure form from those records on.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. That, well, that was, that was, yeah, about the time I I wasn't playing in the fusion band anymore, so I was trying to figure out how to write songs and stuff. So I guess I was trying to learn how to play melodies on guitar and stuff.
0: You have a lot of acoustic stuff out. A lot of people know you as a lead electric guy. You've also explored maybe an equal amount of acoustic stuff. Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, Maybe not quite as equal amount, but I've always listened to it and and played it and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's There's a tune that I listened to Song for Irene. That one to me sounds like it has a lot of piano influence. It doesn't sound as much to me like this is a guitar player sitting down to play a guitar tune. Of course it is because you're playing acoustic guitar. It's like a solo guitar tune or whatever. But it sounds to me like it's got a much more interesting approach where you're not just doing standard guitar guy stuff. And some of what you've already talked about is your choice in chord voicings, your choice in just trying to make a song. How do you approach writing solo acoustic music? If you were to sit down and write, if somebody asked you to write an acoustic solo guitar album, what's your like plan A songwriting process?
1: Well, I I, I think with me, I, I personally like fingerpicking guitar, so it would probably be uh, um, more fingerpicking than, than strumming. And so I would try to figure out some kind of way where I had like uh, you know bass notes and and uh, chord things going on at the same time.
0: How does somebody find themselves in a place to be able to sound less like guitar stuff and more like just music? The piano is a very just musical instrument it's it's a, a big foundational thing. The guitar can kind of mimic it, but what are some just basic? techniques tricks tips whatever
1: i think that that's really a great question i think it that's always kind of been i started playing piano originally so when i when i play guitar i kind of relate to it like a piano Mm. um it's almost like my first language was was piano and so i've learned another language since then but um a lot of times i try to extract certain advantages of the piano on the guitar and of course you have to um they have to be kind of edited a little bit like but i'll like i'll oh this is a great piano chord i'm going to take this to guitar and i can't i might not be able to get the whole thing but i'll edit it to try to get the best uh, uh get the most of, of to the same deal so it's i like doing voicings off the piano and then also if you're playing a piano part you can figure out a way to finger pick like the piano. That's I don't know. I like that. I like the, And you know, oddly enough, steel guitar players. I I love steel guitar. I love the way they pick. They bounce the notes off with their right hand. And it and it's actually become kind of a a kind of guitar technique. Like Jerry Reed kind of started. Sure. And so I like that. But that's kind of like you know strike the strings at the same time. You know. And so it's it's kind of a kind of if I had to like go to the to the DNA of sometimes of the way I approach guitar is it's some of the steel guitar techniques and then taking piano concepts.
0: Cool. I love that. You've been on the road a lot. You've had a long spanning career as a musician, as an artist, how do you stay healthy and strength of mind on the road? There's a lot of people listening that are just starting to go out on tour, starting to do even just more gigs around town, wherever they live. What are some important things to just keeping a healthy mind on the
1: road? That's a great question. Um, My friend that plays golf and he says that 90% of the way you play golf is you, you keep your Zen attitude. You keep your focus. And you play much better. And he says, that's it. He says it's so much more important than, oh, no, I got to get the iron just right and grab it here, and it's 45. And then you just get like you're tripping over yourself. But so I think you got to keep a focus. The more you can keep a a Zen focus on the road, I mean, for me, I don't do drugs or drink. So Mm -hmm. that helps, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And really eating well is important and sleeping well is important i think that those are the most important things and then uh you know just taking care of yourself and getting exercise of some sort and and um i think if you go on the road and you just really push yourself and rag yourself out and you stay up all night and and there's there's a certain i mean you know if you're really young you'll get away i mean i i did some of that when i was really really young and i mean you can get away with it a little bit you know but as you get older, you—I don't think you really ever get away with it. And I think it's best to to kind of get that Zen thing together. But um, at some point, you know, you you the, the more you can articulate that Zen framework, the more it just it kind of it's like an it builds kind of an insulation around your um, body, mind, and soul. I think.
0: Yeah, I I can attest to that for sure. I am a, a firm believer in eight hours of sleep every night, eating healthy not not partying all the time. I have friends that that party on the road that I'll see them do it. It's like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Cuz then they'll show up and then they're dragging the next day and then it it affects the whole show and honestly, it's not fair to the audience and it's not fair to the fans and it's not fair to the band as a whole. Fortunately, the band that I play with, all of us are, you know, we eat clean and we're not big partiers. Nobody's involved in any drugs or anything. So it's it helps a lot when everybody kind of has the same vision.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: You've also done tours with a lot of other guitar players. And you've done like the the Jimi Hendrix tour thing where you've got a bunch of other guitar players out. Buddy Guy, Satriani, Johnny Lang, Dweezil, Doyle Bramall. So many so many other guitar players. That was Eric Gales, who's insane, incredible guitar player. So many incredible guitar players When you have that many extreme forces of an instrument that all play the same instrument, how do you keep from ego getting in the way of the performance?
1: Um, You know the interesting, on the Hendrix tour, there's just little or none of that. I never really felt that. Everybody was just having fun playing. But, you know, in all honesty, I think, you know, there is a little bit of ego in it when you come out, if you're just being aware of yourself and thinking, I got to be good and maybe they'll like this lick, you know, that's still coming from that same place. It's not, it's not a, it's not a type of real, you know, uh, potent, you know, well, I'm going to show him, you know, it's not that I didn't really, there was never any of that on the, I, I never felt any of that on the Hendrix tour but I know that when I go on stage sometimes I'm like, Oh, I got to really do well. I got to really impress everybody. And I, Oh, here's comes this part. They'll really, they'll, you know, and I'm just being honest, you know, and it's, I, maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit it. I wish, I wish I could come on stage and be totally like completely oblivious to myself. You know, like, like in this place where you're like, Oh, you know what, tonight I'm, I'm in touch with this musical thing. And it's telling me to display play a G chord for 20 minutes, you know, have that kind of security to have that kind of trust trust in what's happening to where you can remove yourself from like tripping over the whole thing, you know, and, and that's, you have to have enough ego to get out of bed, you know, um, or you'd never even get out of bed. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I think there's a place where I'd like to get rid of all that to where I can go back to just being like, not childish, but childlike, you know, where you're just like, wow, you know, it, none of this matters. I don't have to prove anything. I just want to be in the moment. And then, you know, the times I've ever slipped into that zone is when I've absolutely played my best i mean no question about it so yeah. the interesting thing is that it's a win-win i mean that's where the that's where the really beautiful fruit is you know i think being there so but i never felt any of that i mean even some you know the other things i did i i think you know it never had like a a negative yeah. kind of edge to it or anything
0: do you play on other people's albums do you do much session work
1: i haven't uh Real recently, but yeah, from time to time, I just did a track on Doyle Dyke's new record.
0: Do you do a lot of your work from home? like you're you're in a home studio right now, which looks amazing. I can see it behind you. But uh, do you engineer your own sessions? Do you do your own remote recording?
1: I help out a little bit on um, engineering, but I uh, there's a gentleman named Kelly Donnelly that does almost all of it. I'll do, I'll do a little assisting now and then. But.
0: The majority of what I know you as is your own artist career, as pretty much any artist who's focusing on their thing. But you've done a lot of session work. There's a lot of people listening who are getting into session work or have been doing it for a while. Is there any general principles, practical tips, or things that you can say to people who want to advance their session playing like you've talked a lot about serving the song and playing what's appropriate. What are some general principles that you like to give advice to young players
1: about? Well, I think it's kind of what you started to say. I mean, the most important thing is if you're doing a session thing for someone, it, you just gotta, okay, I'm going to play, the, I'm going to play on this record. What can I do to help paint more 3d or dynamics or interest or, or uh, emotion? W- what can I, what can I contribute that will in some way enhance the song. Mm. I think that's it. That, it's, it's as simple as that. And then there's all sorts of different levels of, you know, sometimes people, you know, if, if they ask me to do it uh, on a play, they say, well, we really want you to blow up on this part. Or they, or they say, can you just add some rhythm to this or whatever? But if they want to feature me in part of it, then I'll figure out a way to do that. But I don't want to overtake song and, and I want to make sure that anything I play is enhancing the song that in my opinion is making the song better or more interesting to listen to. I think if, if that's the main uh, focus, then you're entering that thing, right? You know, if, if you're just looking at it as a opportunity to, to use for your own advantage, then rarely that will turn out as well. And I, can, I think that's, I enjoy playing on other people's stuff for that reason though, because it kind of puts me in a situation where I have to be a little bit anonymous Or I like to approach it like an anonymous person, but what can I do to orchestrate or help this thing go somewhere?
0: So how do you know for yourself when to inject your voice versus just guitar for the song? Or are you even even thinking about that? Because some people are going to ask you to play, they want to feature Eric Johnson on a track and they want it to sound like Eric Johnson. Then there's certain times where it's just like, they right. need guitar. Well,
1: if they, if it's just they need guitar, then I just try to think of what's in the parameters of helping the song and not detracting or imbalancing the song. If They want to feature me, then I try to to do it in a way that sounds really cool and it doesn't uh, take away from the song, or, or you know what I mean. Like there'll be one section where I'll do my thing, but then I don't talk too much. If you know, if somebody wants you to say something, make it count, but don't don't say too much. I guess you know.
0: I dig that. Shifting gears a little bit. Gears, pun intended, you have several signature guitars. You have a signature Martin MC40. You've got the Eric Johnson Signature Fender Strat, the Eric Johnson Signature Strat Rosewood, and more recently, a Thinline Strat. How does that feel? What, what is it like to have your own signature instruments? And what goes into developing signature instruments? How do you decide what you're going to do
1: for that? Uh, and I have a new one coming that just came out, the Virginia.
0: The Virginia? What's the Virginia?
1: Oh, that's this new one that just came out.
0: Tell me about it. Well, what what goes like? I still stand by my question. What goes into developing? Like now, you have four signature strats. That's insane. What what goes into developing those for you? And what is that process like? Is that just as enjoyable for you as creating music, or is it like a big pain because you're trying to figure out how to make this thing with a sound and a feel and a price point?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's been a journey. I mean, the first the first strats I put out, and I still think they're really nice guitars but i it's almost like every year you know you 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 know you're trying to develop a new model that maybe will enhance the music a little more so they're particular brand new one that's coming out is is out of, there's a edition with fender called the stories guitars where they're basically taking artists that have certain uh guitars that were in their career that were really important to him, And I had one called Virginia. It was a 54 Strat that had all these different appointments that were not original to 54, but it was still a 54 Strat that had customized things done to it. So we've just issued a version of that. I mean, there's, there, you know, it's like the taking the first take, first or second take of a song. You really get the magic, you know? And I think Leo, when he made the Strat in 54 and 55, he, that, those first second takes were magic. I mm. said that, there's certain things to me that that could be um, adjusted to obviously to play uh, more expand uh, different types of music. So I tried to go with that first or second take of it's a great guitar. The, you know the type of wood, the way the wood's cut, the, the neck size. But then uh, to me, y- you just have a stronger bridge pickup. You know the bridge pickups are yeah. like weak on the Strat.
0: Totally. I'm, I'm with you on that. My fortunate thing for me, I'm a strat guy too. The fortunate thing that I have fallen into since I was a kid is I love an instrument with 22 frets. And what does that do? It negates me being able to buy vintage guitars, which actually is a good thing for me. It saves me a
1: lot of money. <laughs> well, the old Gibsons have 22 frets.
0: Yeah, but I'm a strat guy. Str- I'm a uh, okay, okay. Yeah. I have a couple just quick fire things I want to ask to to finish off because it's kind of a fun thing because as guitar players, we all love gear. We love to just know what gear is cool, whatever. Quick rapid fire questions. Any purchase, call it uh, 20 bucks or less. What does every guitar player need?
1: 20 bucks or less. Wow.
0: 20 bucks-ish or less.
1: 20 bucks-ish or less. A groovy looking cool cord. Oh, a coil cord coil cord. So you can like, look like, you know, Hendrix in the studio.
0: I dig it. Okay, cool. I've never heard that one. I like that. Do you, is there a particular, like some guys are like, man, this exact cable is how I get my sound. Other guys are like, I don't know what it, it could be radio shack. It could be Mogami. It could be this, this guy in the Himalayas that builds it or whatever. Do you have a specific cable that you're like, I got to use these. I
1: like George L cable.
0: Soldered or solderless?
1: Uh solderless.
0: Okay. Cool. Um, purchase hundred bucks-ish, couple hundred bucks-ish if you have to go there or less. Couple couple, yeah, let's call it a couple hundred bucks or less, because that kind of gives you most pedal options if you wanted a pedal. It doesn't have to be a pedal. I don't want to skew your answer. Couple hundred bucks or less.
1: Uh well, um geez. That's a good question. Um what would I buy? A couple hundred bucks. Or...
0: What What does every guitar player What does every every guitar player need?
1: Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, picks and strings, I guess. Two hundred bucks, you could buy a bunch of picks and strings, I guess.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I like that. Last question: Price is not an issue. What's the one piece of gear that everybody needs? There's no issue on price.
1: Wow. Um. Everybody needs, uh, probably, uh, an old, an, an old Plexi Marshall, maybe it <laughs> depends on the kind you're doing, but okay. I mean, if you're playing rock, yeah, if you got the money, go out and find an old, old Marshall head.
0: Why a Plexi rather than a, like a JCM 900 or whatever?
1: Well, those are cool sounding amps too. Yeah, it's just a different sound. Um,
0: okay, I've actually never owned a Marshall amp, so here I am hosting this guitar podcast, and I don't—I've never owned a Marshall. It's shameful. I know.
1: No, that's cool. That's probably kind of cool. <laughs> I, mean, I did. I remember. I and I used to like even when I was, you know, first starting out and playing Clapton and stuff and all. I I just played a twin reverb with a three thirty five, and I just cranked it up and. Yeah. And I was, it was later on that I actually got into Marshall, but you know, they're just, they're the copies of Tweed Fenders. So sure. I I guess you could go out and find a Tweed Basement and be the same thing.
0: Well, you did say a Plexi Marshall. That was your first answer. So (laughs) I like to know that though. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been really a joy to talk with you. Hopefully we'll get a chance to share the stage or hang out and play guitars together sometime.
1: That would be great, man. I'll I'll look forward to that. And it's nice meeting you Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right. There you have it. Eric Johnson. Dude's chill. I like that cat. Tell you what, after this interview, I went back and I listened to a bunch of his catalog. It was interesting to hear exactly what he was talking about through his discography, starting from more guitar-centric stuff to more storytelling and using the guitar as a vehicle to tell those stories. That's pretty cool. I'm inspired. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next week. Hang out with us. Peace!